Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Hi, and welcome to an episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. Today's guest is Larry Sprung, who is a certified financial planner, among other things like husband, father, entrepreneur, author, and what we're going to be talking about today is being a mental health advocate. In 2004, he founded Midland Financial, naming the firm in memory of his wife's father, grandfather, Mitchell, and his mother, Linda. He works with the families he serves to break down complex financial topics into easy understand concepts and also does his part in those conversations to reduce stigma and talk about the things that are challenging. So outside of the office, he ties on that cape and puts on the passion for raising awareness for mental health. He has spent over 12 years serving on the national board of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and sits in its financial and investment committees. Thank you for joining and for really the important work you're doing out there. Thank you so much, Diana. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, I hope uh, and look forward to sharing this with your uh, listeners. Great. So, I love the idea that you have what seems to be two very different passions, one which would be more economic or financially focused and one that seems to be on the one of the most difficult subjects of mental health, which is suicide. How do those two subjects intersect? Well, I mean, listen, it's the story of my life and, uh, you know, it, it's definitely had a profound impact on me and, and our family. And, you know, just being involved in that space has been tremendously helpful at the intersection of mental health and, you know, wealth management and financial planning, because at times there are things that come up in families' lives that are stressful, mentally challenging, mentally draining. And uh, it's important to have those hard conversations and being somebody who's seen somebody experience a mental illness and seeing the challenges of having that conversation with them and also seeing countless others who have done the same thing. Uh, it makes me feel very comfortable about having these conversations with the families we serve. If they're having issues, their children's or children are having issues, or they just need somebody to speak to because they see something in someone within their family family or friendships. So it's been extremely helpful having this background and being able to speak openly about mental health and suicide. I just want to say bravo, bravo, because the more we keep these subjects underground, the less we talk about them, the worse the statistics become. And in fact, the shame that accompanies family members seems to attach in ways that shouldn't. So let's talk about these hard subjects. What brings you as a person who is willing to have this conversation with people? What's your story? 
Yeah, so I mean, it dates back. You you mentioned my firm starting in 2004, and uh, essentially about six weeks before the launch of my firm, I lost my brother-in-law to suicide. Um, And it was something that I can't say was unexpected. Uh, for me, it was unexpected because I never really realized that somebody who struggled with mental illness or met the mental health issues uh, could die. It just really wasn't on my radar. It wasn't something I experienced, but uh, I did experience it in 2004. He was struggling with bipolar disorder. Uh, we as a family were doing everything we could to support him, encourage him, help him uh, get the uh, the help and the assistance that he needed. And uh, unfortunately, you know, he just felt like time was running out and he just felt like there were no other options. And he ended up dying by suicide, like I said, about six weeks before uh, launching my firm. And uh, we just celebrated the 19th anniversary of losing him back in uh, September of this year. So that's had a profound impact on me. And I've always been somebody who's always been charitably inclined. And uh, I had lost my mother uh, 26 years ago to uh, breast cancer at the age of 47. And I was very involved with uh, cancer and breast cancer. And after my brother-in-law's passing, I started looking at the numbers. And at that time, we lost as many women to breast cancer as we did uh, losing people to suicide. And I said, you know what? There's not a lot of money. There's not billions of dollars being raised for suicide prevention. There's not a lot of people talking about it. So I said, you know what? I I really feel inclined to shift my passions to something where I feel like I could have a greater impact. And that was really the impetus of moving towards uh, becoming more of a mental health advocate. Uh, And then it just took off over the last 19 years that it's been something that I consistently and constantly uh, talk about. So, one of our earlier episodes was with, was with my father who had bipolar disorder, who also tried to die by suicide. He wasn't successful, but that was at the age of 65 and had 15 really, almost 20 really good years after that point. He had been unmedicated prior to that point. So it's a poignant story in that in my family, I got to see a real before and after diagnosis and medication. And that the suicide, you know, decision and attempt spurred something else. What do you often hear stories about? Well, I mean, stories, uh, they run the gamut from finding out that somebody lost somebody after the fact, Um, who had no indication. Uh, I just had a conversation with somebody who uh, had a friend of theirs since childhood that they spoke with or text on a daily basis and never had any signs of any issues whatsoever and received notice that they died by suicide. So, you know, something as tragic as that uh, to you know, a story along the lines of your father's story where we've had folks reach out to us and we've helped them navigate uh, getting the proper resources in place and knowing that their family member or friend is still alive and well today. So it really runs the gamut. It's a a complicated, um, it's a complicated issue. 
Uh, and I by no means am a mental health professional. I don't give any medical advice. The only thing I do know that I can share is my own personal experiences, my own personal knowledge, um, as well as the resources that I've come to learn about and know over the last you know, 19 plus years. So the stories range the gamut. And obviously we want to have a positive impact and be able to have a positive outcome. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. A certain percentage, I think it's 10 to 15% of people with a diagnosis of bipolar disorder will die by suicide. Um, that doesn't even include the other many, many individuals who die by suicide as well with other diagnoses or no diagnoses to your Undiagnosed. point. Undiagnosed. So I'm going to pick your brain a little bit. Let's imagine that we all have that friend that we text with every day and we hear that story and we go, how do I start that conversation? How do I check in with that friend I've known since elementary school? Does this cross your mind? I don't want to be surprised. How do we ask that? Yeah, I, I mean, that that story that I cited, I think, is a very difficult one because, mm -hmm. you know, there was no outreach. There was no signs, according to this person at all. So I think that's a difficult thing that if there's nothing going on, there's no, nothing being seen to just out of the blue saying, hey, are you having mental struggles? You know, I think that's a, a challenging thing. But I think what we have to do is in those cases where we may not be seeing that, I, I think we have to be more mindful about the questions we're asking and the conversations we're having to make sure things are, you know, somewhat quote unquote normal for those people. And then if we see an air of inconsistency, um, have those further conversations and ask those difficult questions. Um, you know, I, as, as you mentioned in the opening, I sat on the board of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention for over 12 years. I, I was a victim of my own policy sitting on the board and had to uh, leave the board because I hit my term limits. Uh, when, I, when I started working with the organization, there weren't term limits. And then uh, we imposed them while uh, I was on the board, which I thought was a fantastic thing. But while I was there and still to today, they have a campaign called Seize the Awkward. And it's really geared towards teenagers predominantly. Um, it's an ad campaign. It's been on a lot of the financial news stations as well as Instagram. It's really geared towards teenagers to tell them, hey, seize the awkward. You know, it might be awkward asking your friend if they're okay, uh, if they're thinking about certain things about harming themselves. Uh, but you have to be willing to risk your friendship for potentially saving that person's life. So I, I think it's just a matter of being able to ask those questions and feel comfortable. And if something doesn't seem or feel right with the person that you're interacting with or you know, you have to ask the question, hey, are, are you okay? Are you really okay? And you may have to ask them two or three different ways to finally get an answer. And just because they're not answering it in the way you think they should or are, doesn't mean that they have something wrong, but hopefully the idea is by continuing to ask them and show them that you're open to having those conversations, if they're feeling like they're having a struggle or they're in crisis, hopefully in that moment, they'll reach out to you and, and ask for assistance. 
I remember a story where my dad had to go off his medication later in life because of physical issues. And he sank into a deep depression and I was visiting and I said, so let me help you support you. He was getting ready to do some ECT, electroconvulsive therapy to, to address the deep depression. But in between that and he was at real suicide risk in those early weeks. And so I said, well, what's the hardest time for you? And he said about three in the morning. And I said, well, why don't you call me at three in the morning? And he said, well, what good are you going to do? And and it was, he was being genuine. What are you going to do? And I said, nothing, but you won't be alone in it. I'll be next to you while you struggle. And in and of itself, I think we can do that for people. I, I agree. I mean, listen, I, I get calls, you know, just because of my involvement, my openness, my, uh, my abilities to, or my willingness to have these conversations, people know that in the community and in my, you know, whether it's the social community or my local community. And we've, you know, my wife and I have become de facto resources as a result of that. So we get some of those calls that, Hey, my family member's having an issue. What, what can I do? What, you know, what are the potential options for me in this uh, situation? And uh, again, I share personal anecdotes and try to walk them through it. And, uh, you know, my wife and I have created an organization or a fund called the Keith Milano Memorial Fund in my brother-in-law's memory, where we've, you know, I talk about this often, we've raised in excess of $1.7 million for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. But all that money is great. But at the same time, we give it away tomorrow and it's more rewarding for for us to know the people that we've actually helped save their family member or their life as a result of being able to find the treatment or the help that they need. So for our listeners or watchers, if they are you know, moved by this episode and moved to actually become part of a conversation, what's the where do we start? What's the best place for them? Yeah, so I mean, I think there are a couple of places, you know, I, I became personally very involved with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. It was something that early on when we lost my brother-in-law, we aligned with, uh, you know, very quickly. Um, their mission really aligned with us and, and really everything about the organization aligned with us. So I, I would encourage people to check them out. Uh, they can visit their mm -hmm. website at AFSP.org. Um, and there's a number of different ways that people can get involved. They can make a donation and simply write a check if that's something they want to do. They can uh, become an advocate and help uh, with legislation in their area, which is, you know, not that much involvement in terms of just signing up as an advocate. And then as legislation is passed or looking to be passed in your area, you'll get an email to write your local representation to help pass that legislation. You can volunteer for one of their many programs if you want to help those who may be struggling or have lost somebody uh, to suicide. Or if you just wanna, you know, if you've lost somebody uh, or you struggle or you've attempted yourself, uh, there are local walks in all 50 states where you can go walk with hundreds of other people like yourself. And then typically we have one national walk, uh, usually in June, 
um, which is an overnight walk, which starts at sundown. And you walk about 18 miles, representing the 18 people we lose uh, to suicide. And uh, you walk from sundown to sunrise. And it's a, it's a very uh, calming and uh, excellent experience to be with others who have struggled in any form or any capacity. And where is that walk usually? So the national walk, the overnight walk changes uh, from year to year. We've had it in New York Got City. It. We've had it in Chicago. We've had it in Seattle. We've had it in DC. Um, I'm not sure that they've announced yet where it's going to be in June of 2024. But uh, if they have or they when they do, it will be all over the uh, AFSP website at AFSP.org. Thank you. Thank you. So I have one last question for you, and I can't resist asking it because it's posted behind you. What did you do today that brought you joy? That's a great question. So I, you know, I, it was really a culmination of reflecting today for me. Um, this past weekend was uh, my birthday weekend. I had the opportunity to fly out with my wife to Minnesota and spend the uh, my youngest son's family weekend with him. Uh, the two weekends prior, I spent with my older son, and I'm going to see him in another week. So uh, it, it brought me a lot of joy to hang out with my youngest son, who is. Uh, 17, moved away at 15 from home to follow his uh, passions as a hockey player. And uh, mm. I spent uh, a little bit of time this morning reflecting on our time with him over this weekend. And uh, that brought me a lot of joy for sure. Self-reflection of good moments are real joy moments for all of us. We don't just have to experience that moment of joy if we, we can relive them. So that's great to hear that reminder. So Larry, thank you very much for joining us today. For you listeners, we hope you've liked this episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. And if so, like us on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet, a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.